0: Some stuff. Good weekend so far. Sunshine's nice, is it not? I really, really appreciate um, Hannah. Where, where are you? There you are. Thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your words. Thank you for leading us in worship. Uh, that was fantastic. I really, really appreciate that. Um, I cannot be reminded enough of just the simplicity and the, uh, the power when we worship our God. and We welcome him into uh, the things, in every aspect of our lives, but particularly the things that we We can't control, we can't figure out, we don't have all the answers for. Um, we, We worship. Our response is to simply direct our attention, our hope, our affections towards the one who does have answers, who is capable. We need to do that every day, all day. So thank you again, Hannah. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for a morning to gather. Thank you for the joy of being together. Lord, thank you for a building that we actually have a, a spot that you've entrusted to us. Um, it's a pretty place, it's a relatively warm place. Um, and I'm grateful. I think we're all grateful. Lord, would you lead the way this morning? Would you continue to guide us as we, as we continue to, to turn our attention to you? Holy Spirit, Won't you teach us this morning? Help us to hear your voice, uh, to learn more about who you are, not to only learn about you, but to experience more of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are praying in the car on our way here this morning as we normally do, me and my family. And, uh, you know, when you're at the end of your prayer and you pause for a second so that we can all say amen together. Sometimes a pastor might say something like, and all God's people said, yeah. And so occasionally I'll do that or I'll just pause and wait for the kids to all chime in. And my seven year old Judah, he's very sharp. He said, amen and then immediately followed it up by saying, I said amen first so God loves me the most. (sighs) Which is true. (sighs) I think that's good theology. (laughs) Let's go to the book of John. We're going to look at John chapter 20, and we're going to read a passage here, beginning in verse 24, John 20, 24. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open it, flip there. Of course, the words are on the screen. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, one one of the 12 disciples, also called the twin, cool nickname, was not with them, the disciples, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. This is a post-resurrection sighting. We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side where he was pierced, I will never believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus was talking about us. We haven't seen him physically, but many of us do believe. My Lord and my God. This is one of my favorite um, sort of post-resurrection accounts of Jesus interacting with his disciples. They all saw him crucified. It was a public event. Many, many hundreds, perhaps thousands, would have witnessed or at least been aware of the fact that he had been crucified. And now a word was beginning to spread that he was alive. This Jesus this Jewish rabbi who made uh, insane, unthinkable, bold claims about who he was, was now alive, vindicating his own death, proving, if you will, that he was more than just another martyr. He, martyr he, he was exactly who he claimed to be, God who would come in the flesh, who would come to die for the sins of the world and conquer death, That's opening the way, making a way for a new kingdom to break into a broken, crumbling one. One that's of this world. Jesus, the son of God who died for all of us, was back. And now he's beginning to show himself alive to his disciples. And of course, Thomas, we all love Thomas. And even if you're not like a Bible scholar, we've all heard of doubting Thomas, right? This is is that Thomas. And he's like, I'm not going to believe. You guys are out of your minds. Clearly, clearly you're having like, like group delusion. And of course, as we just read, Jesus appears once again this time. Thomas is in the room. And he says, look it, I'm, I'm here. Touch my hands. The, 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 the piercing in my side where the Roman centurion pierced me to make sure that I was in fact dead. Go ahead. Stick your hand in my side. Super gross. But do what you got to do. And Thomas's exclamation was, "My Lord and my God." I want to talk about Jesus is Lord. Now Thomas says, "My Lord, my God." There's, there's obviously there, there's something very significant, deeply symbolic about both of those words. I think we all. For the most part, news, we understand God, God is a word that gets used all the time in various contexts and in various ways, even today in our contemporary world. And it's important that we understand what in fact that actually does mean. But Lord, that's, that's a slightly different word. That's a, a much more archaic word, but also very significant. Jesus is Lord, is is one of, or arguably, the most ancient of all the Christian creeds. Jesus is Lord. It's, it's, a, it's a packed, uh, theologically rich, doctrinally succinct statement that within it says so much about who this Jesus really is. And to say it out loud, to confess it, to declare it, Jesus is Lord, As in like Jesus is my Lord says something about the very like essence of my being. It impacts every aspect of my life and the life of anyone who would say, yes, I too believe Jesus, you are my Lord. But what does it mean? What is this ancient creed, Jesus is Lord? What does it mean? What are the implications and perhaps most importantly, how how does one live out the creed? If you are a follower of Jesus or maybe you're seriously considering these things, you're here and you're, you're wondering, how does one live this out? What is it really meant to look like? So there's three questions. Let's begin with, okay, what does this mean? Jesus is Lord. Let's unpack the creed a little bit. The word Lord, um, again, if, even if you didn't sort of grow up in, in a religious household or if you don't regularly frequent churches or religious meetings, you've probably heard the word. You, you most likely don't it use it at the office unless your boss is like a real tyrant. Um, But what is this word? Where does it come from? A Lord is one of the titles that God, that was ascribed to God in the Old Testament. So if you go back to the the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, you see this word Lord all the time. God is referred to as Lord. And in fact, when the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah was translated into Greek, which is what we call the Septuagint, around third, second century B.C., the word Adonai, the Hebrew word Adonai, was translated into the Greek word Kyrios, which we translate into the English word Lord. And it's a title, like you would refer to as the ruler of the empire as Lord. Caesar is Lord. The king is Lord. And it's not just ruler, it's, it's, a, it's a word for ruler with connotations of deity, it's why eventually the ruler of the Roman Empire, the Caesar, was worshipped as a type of deity. Sort of this deified emperor of the empire, Caesar, was referred to as Lord. And that's kind of where the word came from. That's how the word was originally used in its ancient context. What do we mean when we say Jesus is Lord? Well, it means for the follower of Jesus, for the one who would confess that Jesus is Lord, that is to say, Jesus is supreme ruler of my life. He is 100% absolutely in charge, has all authority, influence, and the final say in all matters of my being. It's a radical statement. To confess Jesus as Lord is to declare total commitment to obey Jesus' teachings and his commandments. It's complete surrender to his will. That is to say, not my will, but your will be done. That's what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord means my life is no longer my own. I have relinquished all rights unto Jesus it's also a subversive statement meaning to say that Jesus is Lord is another way of saying that I am not or nor is anyone else Jesus is Lord means no one else is not what are the implications of that? Now, if this is sounding like just terribly radical, that's, that's good, that's what I'm getting at. That is the message of the scriptures. But what are the implications? Like what, how, what does this mean for everyday life? What does this mean for you and I? Let's say you were like, look, I, I, I'm totally with you. I'm a, I started out a bit like Thomas, maybe even still a little bit there depending upon the day. But I I I want Jesus to be Lord. Like I'm sign me up, but how do I do it? Like what what does it look like? What are the implications? Let's talk about it. Um, have you ever read one of like the, the great biographies of, of one of the, the famous Christian martyrs? I'm talking about like uh, the Heavenly Man. Anyone ever read that one, Brother Yoon? Ken, guys, it's one of my favorite. Uh, I, don't, I don't. He's actually not a martyr. I don't think he's dead. He's quite old at this this point in time, but um, he was persecuted, imprisoned when the underground church was beginning to be formed in China back in the '70s and '80s. Uh, Brother Yoon was a, uh, a Chinese man who heard and responded to the gospel and began to follow Jesus um, like this, with radical abandonment, total surrender, complete allegiance to Jesus and his commandments. Why? Because he didn't know better. All he knew was what the Bible said. And so we actually did it. And you read his story, you're like, oh my goodness. That is awesome. Or one of my other favorites, uh, Eric Metaxas, did a phenomenal a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer a few years ago and that's a tome but man worth reading or at least worth listening to absolutely phenomenal to read about this German pastor and eventually martyr who followed Jesus in a way that just makes you wonder like do I even know Jesus I mean when I read Bonhoeffer I'm like this guy is the real deal inspiring challenging Of course, Mother Teresa, Saint Alban, the very first English martyr. Virtually all of the apostles, etc., etc. You read these stories. If you ever do get a chance to read one of these stories, and I guarantee you, you'll end up thinking to yourself, "Man, what would it be like to live that radically, that utterly surrendered?" to the will of Jesus what if that type of life was actually just normal christianity what if what what if we didn't grow up in a in a christianized nation where even if you didn't grow up in a religious household, like most people who have spent any amount of time in America, you've got some sort of like version of Christianity floating around in your mind. And it's arguably not like the Christianity of Bonhoeffer or Brother Yoon or Mother Teresa or St. Alban or Bonhoeffer or these, like, these, these greats. It's maybe something more like you saw on TV or something. But what if the radicals is exactly the life that Jesus has called all of his followers to experience and somehow we've just been lulled into like settling for believing in something else that's just really kind of boring and not anything even close to what Jesus is calling us to experience in our lives. What if? If What would that look like? Jesus said in Matthew uh, 16, he says it elsewhere as well, but Jesus told his disciples, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself or herself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will." Find it. Whoever loses his life in allegiance to me for my sake, for the sake of my vision as a member of my kingdom, will actually find their life, will experience true life. When Jesus was crucified in the first century, we're told that uh, Pilate, who was sort of the governor of Judea at that time, working for the Roman Empire, it says that Pilate put a sign at the head of the cross that read, King of the Jews. And it was an obvious statement, a, a radically political statement to whoever was looking on this is what happens when you refuse to submit to the lordship of the empire. So there's your king for you. Think twice. This, this was the, the statement. And this is exactly what Jesus called every one of his followers to do. Deny yourself and go the way of the cross. Trust me, obey me, learn the way of sacrificial love no matter the cost. Live this way and you will see my kingdom begin to break out. And eventually we'll even overcome an empire as vast and debauched and as seemingly as powerful as the great roman empire or whatever empire we might be living in today i love america just just to qualify that a little bit but i love king jesus even more and his vision for his kingdom and the way he wants to subvert all other empires and kingdoms and would-be lords in the world is way, way better than anything this world has to offer. And it's a call to radical surrender. Take up your cross, just like me. Go the way of sacrificial love, the cruciform lifestyle that is the life that looks like Being crucified, not merely as a martyr, not because you think you're all of that or more pious than someone else, but because you follow Jesus, because we live our lives and lay down our lives like he has done for us. And that's how his kingdom begins to break out. The results more peace, more security more joy, more hope. You know, the, par- the promise of the Roman Empire was peace. That was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Submit under the lordship of Caesar and you will experience prosperity. You will experience security. You will experience peace, but you must submit under the lordship of the empire. Guess what? Didn't really work out. Never has worked out, never will work out. Jesus says, submit unto my lordship, and I promise you, peace will come, joy will come, true security will come, hope will come, my kingdom will come, and it can't be stopped because it's eternally existed before the world was even created. But submit, trust, choose your Lord and lose your life that you might experience the life that I've given you life for. You guys with me? You with me? Jesus is Lord means I am not. That's good news. That's good news for all y'all. My friend Adam Avery, he put it this way, the God who made the world rules the world. And I trust him to do it better than me. That's good news. How do we do it? So this is all just preacher talk, right? Some of you are nodding, some of you, like I, I can see your eyes, you're drifting. I don't, I don't know where you're at, come back, come back. How do we do it? What does this look like, lived out? And why is it so hard? Let's let's start with that. Why is this life, if it's so good, if it promises so much, why does it seem like so many of us are really just, it it just seems so far off, so abstract, like this this dream, this something that, yeah, you, you can read about, makes for great spiritual sort of poetry. But why is it so difficult? This life is so good, why, why don't more people sign up for it? I will suggest a couple of things. Number one, we want our Jesus, like Ryan Howard wants a boss who will lead him. Office reference? Remember the episode where Ryan Howard says, I got away with everything under the old boss and it wasn't good for me. So I want guidance, I want leadership lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. (laughs) We want our Jesus like Ryan Howard wants a new boss. Lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. Challenge me, inspire me on my terms. Jesus was constantly, people were constantly trying to co-opt Jesus, Um, trying to use Jesus as like a spiritual supplement, or the kind of, the the way we use floss. I went to the dentist on Monday, thank you, to my wife, (laughs) and you know how it is. Now, don't floss shame me for saying this. But you know how it is. Most of us, when we go to the dentist or when you know you're about to go to the dentist, that's when you start flossing again. (sighs) That's oftentimes how we consciously or subconsciously engage with Jesus. Like we know something's coming up. We know there's a challenge We know that there's a test. We know that something's falling apart. We know, and so we go to Jesus in our prayers, in our hopes, the way we go to our floss because we're really hoping to avoid the cavity as if one week of regular flossing is gonna do anything for my gums. And that's real. Okay, I'll I'll be the first to, to say it. We also... I believe, tend to reduce the creed Jesus is Lord down to a mere idea, a theological abstraction, a mere saying, rather than the words that define the way I'm actually living my life. Okay, we live in a, in a society, a day and age, where we, there is no shortage of words, ideas, concepts, videos. And so oftentimes I think we end up living these sort of like disembodied lives where we have the world of our thoughts and maybe even feelings. And then we've got like our actual life. And it's very, very easy to separate those two worlds out. It's like we've been conditioned to do it. We're really, really good at it. And I think it ends up leading us into a whole lot of anxiety because we become these fractured sort of beings where we say one thing, we do another thing, we think one thing, we go live another thing. We have all of these different worlds happening all at once and we become these fractured people. Jesus wants to recreate us into integrated beings, not just quasi-religious people with some like religious thoughts floating around in our brain and then the actual life that we're living he wants to teach us how to live out Jesus is Lord in a way that that creed isn't just an abstraction but it's it's who I am it's who Jesus is and that's how I live my life in the wake of his lordship but I think we have to be honest with ourselves about the fact that we do live in this sort of like disembodied world where it's, it's almost just too easy to delude ourselves into thinking because I said the words, therefore, th- that means I am. Because I say I'm a Christian, that means I am a Christian. I think I read someplace one time that if I just simply say the prayer, confess the words out of my mouth, then like Jesus has gotta let me in. Yeah and no. It says in Romans 10, nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, yes. And Jesus also said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So to say Jesus is Lord, isn't just something we say, it is a declaration. And when the first century followers of Jesus said that out of their mouth, it meant that they were probably going to be crucified. That's why it was significant that it was said out loud. Because if you declare it out loud, then it's, it's for real. Someone's gonna hear it, and it means that you're now subverting the empire because you have a new Lord who reigns in heaven and on earth. truth is, um, it's difficult because we don't want to submit to the lordship of Jesus, and uh, we like sin. That's why it's hard, because we're rebel sinners, and we need Jesus to help us. Dying to yourself... Trusting Jesus and obeying Him, in a, at a great personal cost to yourself, is really, really hard. It takes an unfathomable amount of effort to live that out and to actually grow, mature as a believer, as a follower, a disciple of Jesus, someone who confesses and lives out, "Jesus is Lord." It's impossibly difficult. It requires discipline, it requires effort. It requires utter surrender to the one who can give us the strength we need to actually walk that out. That's super good news. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's terrifying and simultaneously wonderful. Because when someone says Jesus is Lord, it's it's like saying, huh, this is gonna sound weird, it's like saying, hail Hitler. You look at someone, if you've ever seen the, the videos, there's a terrible example, but it, that's Lordship, hail. And then you look at the person you're saying it to and they either repeat it and say it back or they say, no, I think not. That's why Diet- Dietrich Bonhoeffer was Executed because he refused to submit to the lordship of his empire, the earthly empire, that lord, that evil tyrant. And when someone says, Jesus is Lord, then it calls for a response. It's not just something, hmm, interesting. It's like when Jesus stood before Pilate, the one who nailed king of the Jews at the head of the cross he had a little meeting with Pilate just before his crucifixion and Jesus was telling the Roman governor about truth and they were having a conversation about what is true and Pilate had an opportunity to respond to something profoundly true about what Jesus was saying to him you know what he said you know what Pilate said what is truth instead of responding He decided to start waxing spirituality, waxing philosophical. What is truth? Jesus isn't calling us to just think about lordship. He's saying this is a call to surrender. Hannah used the word twice this morning, repentance. Jesus is Lord means I'm calling you to lose your life Set down your agenda. Give up what you think is the best way to live. This this is going to mess with our morality. This is going to mess with our ethics. This is going to mess. Met, this is going to. This is going to mess with my sexuality. This is going to mess with my politics. This is going to mess with my money. We're going to spend the next month and a half drilling down. <laughs> Jesus isn't calling us just to think about spiritual things. He's calling us to respond because he wants us to actually experience this joy, this peace, this hope, this new life that he has died to give us. Can we stand together, please? Hannah, would you come back up? Jesus has made a way. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul said, you can't even, you can't make the confession without the Spirit of God moving your heart, convicting you of sin, revealing to you the ways in your life that you've refused to surrender because you don't didn't feel like being led we invite the Holy Spirit to come and reveal the things in our hearts that we just were terrified of letting go of we refuse to let go of and we say God help me help us you are a good king you're much better at ruling the world and my life than I'll ever be Lord Jesus help And he comes. He rescues us from ourselves. He rescues us from our pride. He rescues us from our fear. He gives us new hearts. Hearts full of the very love of God. The kind of love that begins to displace fear. That could be helpful in a time like now. Hearts so full of love that fear gets like pushed back. Lord Jesus, help us. Hannah's going to lead us in worship and song. This is a moment, church family, for us to still ourselves, reflect for a moment. And in your own words, say, Lord Jesus, help. Lord Jesus, help. Help.